are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert! No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot, or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Booksmart, which came out in 2019. It was directed by Olivia Wilde. It stars Caitlin Deaver, Beanie Feldstein, Jessica Williams, Lisa Kudrow, Will Forte, Jason Sudeikis, Mason Gooding, Diana Silvers, Victoria Resuegua, Noah Galvin, Skylar Gasondo, Molly Gordon, Austin Crute, and Billy Lord. The genre would be teen comedy. Can I get a what? What? Jesus Christ. No, that's okay. Maybe later. We didn't party because we wanted to focus on school and get into good colleges. And it worked. We are not one-dimensional. We are smart and fun. Woo! Excuse me. We have to go to a party tonight. What? What took them four years? We are doing it one night! Mace, listen, it is very important that you keep the safety. Tonight is your night. Prepare to get bashed! Not in like a violent way, completely consensual bashed. Prepare to get consensually bashed. I'll say I'll have them change it. And for the first time in the two-plus-year history of this podcast, we have a special guest. And that would be my teenage daughter, Isabel. Hi. Hi, Isabel. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited. It is okay to love both this movie and Superbad, right? It was a very common criticism of Olivia Wilde's comedy when it first came out four years ago, especially from many of the, quote, anti-woke crowd out there at the time, who just seemed to keep finding new pop culture obsessions to get indignant about, the latest being rainbow-colored Bud Light and Black Mermaids. And rewatching this movie recently, it's admittedly hard to not be reminded of Superbad at some points, as both films happen to have similar overall structures, bittersweet endings, and a member of the Feldstein clan playing the Wilder friend. Yep, Beanie Feldstein, who plays Molly, happens to be the younger sister of Jonah Hill, who co-starred in Superbad. I still think you have a chance with Jules, man, really. Are you out of your mind? Look at Jules' dating record, okay? She dated Dan Remick, who's had a six-pack since, like, kindergarten. Jason Stone, who looks like fucking Zach Morris. And Matt Muir! Matt Muir, he's the sweetest guy ever. Have you ever stared into his eyes? It was like the first time I heard the Beatles. But that's not only where the similarities end, but both films happen to be part of a long-running cinematic tradition going back decades, and one that I'm always a sucker for, which would be the One Crazy Night movies, which can often take the form of comedies or thrillers. They often attract the best directors, too. Among my personal favorites are Scorsese's underrated After Hours, Spike Lee's 25th Hour, recent episode Collateral from Michael Mann, Adventures in Babysitting, and John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Yeah, it qualifies. And even within this genre, you could say that both Booksmart and Superbad belong to the subgenre of high school senior One Crazy Night movies, which include other gems like Dazed and Confused, American Graffiti, The All-Nighter, and the first half hour of Say Anything. Think about it if you've seen that movie. In this grand tradition, Booksmart really holds its own, and then some. It focuses on one night, of course, after their last day of high school, with Molly and Amy, played by Caitlin Deaver, who are their high school valedictorian and salutatorian, respectively. They're the best of friends, and their primary focus up until this point has been academic achievement. 
Clearly, they have succeeded. But suddenly, in one very funny, though completely unrealistic early scene, Molly realizes that other students succeeded too, but those whom she would deem not as serious as she was. While you guys were all studying AP hand jobs, I was kicking ass, and, and I'm going to continue to do that at Yale next year. So I like my choices, and wherever you three are next year, I hope you do too. I'm going to Yale too. What? I'm incredible at hand jobs, but I also got a 1560 on the SATs. No, you didn't. I got in early. To Yale. Uh huh. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Oh, um, Tanner, where are you going to school? Uh, I'm, I'm playing soccer at Stanford. Stanford University. <laughs> what are you guys talking about? That's. No, yeah, mm -hmm. Stanford. Stanford University. Hey, I'm not going to college. I got recruited to go code for Google. I mean, it's not Apple, but. The Bennies are pretty tight, man, and it's mid-six figures, so I'm not complaining. Oh boy. I'm so proud of you. It's, my boy. it's amazing. Hey, you failed the seventh grade twice. Rule of threes. And it's at this very point early in the movie that it becomes clear that Olivia Wilde is not going for realism, which is okay. We see Molly walking angrily right towards the camera in slow-mo through the school corridor as her surroundings just kind of explode into a student near riot akin to Cobra Kai, we see students celebrating with fire, fire extinguishers, confetti, and of course, water balloons made from condoms, because you need that. You see, any time that she can choose heightened over gritty realism, Wild and crew go for the former. This is not The Last American Virgin, yet Booksmart's focus on relatable characters more than matches that early 80s sort of classic. Now, Isabel, what is your relationship to this movie? So I did not see it in theaters. I remember I got a lot of YouTube videos recommended to me for like a lot of the scenes, especially like Amy and kind of her finding her sexuality. So I really wanted to see it, but I think it was you had to rent it at the moment. So I remember I went to my dad and he's and I was like, can we watch it? I know you really liked it. And it was one of the first R-rated movies we watched together. So oh boy, was it because I could tell you this was four years ago, not long after it came out. And I had seen it in theaters and loved it. But I did not remember just how much profanity is in this movie. I mean, I'm sitting here with a 12 year old. It feels like I'm putting on Goodfellas for her. It's literally the teenage Goodfellas. F-bombs nonstop. So needless to say, I was a little uncomfortable, but we got through it and yeah. she enjoyed it. Right? And I loved it. And it's become like, it's one of my favorite movies. We always make fun of how I have a horrible attention span when it comes to movies. <laughs> I fell asleep during the Batman big car chase and he'll never live it down. But yeah. And you fell asleep even during the, the best part of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Yeah. But it kept my attention. <laughs> I've watched it so many times and I just... I love it, and I'm so excited to be talking about it. Oh, no. Not acceptable. This is not okay. Who allowed you to be this beautiful? Who allowed you to be this beautiful? Who allowed you to take my breath away? Call the Who paramedics. Gave? Nope. Call the police, because there has been an emergency. I can't look right at it. So the story is mainly focused on Molly and Amy, which Caitlin Deaver and Beanie Feldstein both absolutely destroy, and it often balances biting wit with wide-eyed goofiness whenever a situation calls for either or both. Beyond them, every other member of this promising young cast brings their A-game, all resulting in well-drawn characters who each bring their own vibe and unique sense of humor with them. Billy Lord is one such standout as the brassy Gigi who not only playing every moment to the hilt as if she's a teenage Norma Desmond, but can apparently teleport to each new destination Amy and Molly venture to. Oh my god, you guys are here! Yeah, how did you get fuck? here? How did you get here? And how are you dry? How are you dry? Oh. Jesus! Jesus! What the Christ. fuck? God! Guys, 
The re-election is coming up and I need to know if I have to buy your votes. No one will even tell us where it is. Why are you being so obsessed with his party? Because she loves him. Oh my God, Gigi, stop doing that. Also great is Noah Galvin, who plays George, one of my favorite characters, the ultimate theater kid throwing his own graduation eve party in the form of a murder mystery incorporating his entire house, relegating his parents and sister to the kitchen doing puzzles. Is it over? No, stop. Mom, do not talk to the actors. The house is mine until 11 p.m. Cindy, I swear to fucking God. And along the way, we meet so many other winning supporting characters, including a couple of folks who have been really thriving in the horror genre lately. Right before he became a new regular in the Scream franchise, you have Mason Gooding, son of Cuba Gooding Jr., no less, as the super gregarious Nick, the class VP slash homecoming king who Molly has a secret crush on. He brings some charm to even the most common gags, including the, quote, life of the party bro type who can turn any activity into a party game resembling beer pong. Plus, you have the star of the underrated horror film from a few years ago, Ma, starring Octavia Spencer, and that would be Diana Silvers. She brings some drollness and some heat to her scenes as Hope, who becomes a potential love interest to Amy. They even share an almost love scene very comparable to the comically aborted one, Leighton Superbad, featuring Michael Sarah. And finally, like Superbad, this movie has a wonderfully random sense of place as we follow our two main protagonists on a series of misadventures at different nondescript places throughout a non-determined sprawling suburb. We ask the questions! Oh my god! Oh shit, shit, shit! Is this some Manson family shit? What is this? No! No! Everything is gonna be just fine! You're just gonna give us the address to where you delivered some pizzas tonight! Oh my god, are you guys out of your fucking mind? How old are you, by the way? Does not matter! Okay, that voice did not make you sound older. So you're basically children, and you just willingly got in the car of a strange man. Do you guys have a weapon? Yes. If we claim to have a weapon, this might be a felony. Fuck. Okay, so you're using your hair as a mask and trying to rob someone with no weapon. I think this all takes place in a wealthier suburb up in the hills surrounding L.A., though it's never really clear. Is it clear? Um... I think there's technical information, but they don't say it. Okay. And that kind of works in its favor as the film just looks fantastic, no matter where they go, thanks to exemplary work from DP Jason McCormick and production designer Katie Byron. Byron has cut her teeth recently on some very distinctive indie productions, like small, really weird movies, including Zola and Color Out of Space. She lends some symmetrical quirkiness to some shots, sometimes giving off a Wes Anderson-like vibe, though never quite that twee. Yeah, I know. Twee. I went there. I mean, really, is there any other better word to describe Wes Anderson at this point? We'll go with twee. And this brings us to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Because why, Isabel? Because music is essential to film. (laughs) Yes, it is. Now, while I often pride myself on having a good grasp of pop music, I have to say that delving into the extensive soundtrack for this movie did have me feeling a bit old realizing that I'm at least 10 years behind when it comes to knowing what's current, because this soundtrack is very of the moment, and in a good way too, though there are a couple of fun retro needle drops thrown in there too. So many great tracks spread throughout, so we'll just have to narrow it down to five. Why not? Five. The movie opens with a comically sinister meditation with Molly by herself, and then cut to outside as Amy pulls up, picking her up for school. Both girls start dancing their way towards each other, celebrating their very last day of high school. Amy's doing the robot in front of her car. Molly is funkily gliding across the lawn. And what song do we hear but the irresistibly catchy To Whom It May Concern from producer Sam Spiegel and a one-time supergroup project that he rounded up called Sam One. 
which included CeeLo Green, Theophilius London, and Alex Ebert. Apparently, this song-slash-project was actually 15 years in the making before it was released as a single in 2018. And it was well worth it as the song follows them driving to school, then walking through the halls. It's a lively way to kick off the proceedings. I missed you. I missed you so much. In one night. Are we gonna go to school or? Nope. I don't think we are. Nope, we're just gonna stay here. Okay, so now that we have the hip dancey needle drop out of the way, let's bring it over to the diegetic one, which occurs about an hour into the movie. Diegetic, of course, meaning that it's performed by a character on screen within the world of the movie. We're now at the third party of the night, and how can you have a party without good karaoke? Come on, never goes away. Well, here we are treated to a somewhat angry rendition of Alanis Morissette's iconic mid-90s anthem, You Ought to Know, from Noah Galvin's flamboyant George. I wish nothing but the best for you both. An older virgin like me, is she perverted like me? Will she go down on you in yeah. Yes, his microphone choking gag, it's a bit obvious, but we'll allow it. Fun scene. I really love that scene, and it actually introduced me to Alanis Morissette, who now I love all her music. In a coming-of-age tale like this one, you need to have at least one inspiring needle drop. And this one actually occurs during what you consider the trailer moment. We'll defer to that category for more details on its placement. Playing over the lush visuals of the sequence are the soaring vocals of Des Moines, Iowa's own Michael Alden Hadreas, otherwise known as Perfume Genius. From his 2017 album, No Shape, this song is the gorgeous chamber pop ditty, Slip Away. I would say that this is my personal needle drop. The scene is absolutely beautiful, the music sets it perfectly, and it makes the visual art even more moving. It really finds a way to touch the audience and gives us all insight into the characters. Also essential for every raucous comedy is at least one over-the-top driving scene, with a boisterous song playing overhead. And in this area, Booksmart does not disappoint, as we are following Amy and Molly recklessly driving across town to their actual graduation. And of course, they're running late. And while we see slow-mo imagery of our heroines making an extreme turn, we are treated to the catchy guitar and bass-driven retro beats of drum and bass artist DJ Shadow with guest vocals from Run the Jewels. It's the 2016 single, Nobody Speak. Hey, you want to hear a good joke? 
Nobody speak, nobody get choked. Finally, this is the most emotional needle drop playing fittingly over the emotional high point of this movie, right at the end as Molly and Amy are saying goodbye. Amy is flying to Africa where she will be doing a special project for her first year of college. Molly has dropped her off at the airport and as she slowly pulls away, the camera closes in on each of their faces as they part ways. Just a beautifully effective moment as we see the sun beaming on each of them as their faces drop towards tears. Playing over this, affecting the scene is a modern acoustic cover of the classic 1965 ballad Unchained Melody from the Righteous Brothers. This version done by Swedish dream pop singer Likey Lee. Long trip. <laughs> Go get them. What's a year? Okay. Yes, the original version of this song was used to iconic effect in the 1990 smash Ghost, and I like that movie. But honestly, and this might be a controversial take, I find it is just as effective here. The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Unfortunately, this film belongs in the same category as recent episodes Widows, Annihilation, and Warrior. And that category would be exceptional genre films which underperformed at the box office. This movie received great early buzz, rave reviews, and a very funny trailer, which you really could not avoid for several months leading up to its release, though it was solely released in the domestic market by Annapurna Studios, which was a specialty label really more geared towards releasing prestige films like The Phantom Thread or Bombshell. And that latter point might give you a partial idea as to why this movie underperformed. If, say, a Focus Features or Fox Searchlight had released this movie around that time, they probably would have given it a more gradual rollout around the country, whereas Annapurna was confident enough, maybe a little overconfident enough, to give it a wide release opening on Memorial Day weekend, where it placed six, no less. Just sad, though it's not as if this movie lost money. It made about $27 million worldwide on a $6 million budget, which isn't bad. But bottom line, this movie is smart, touching, and very funny. And in my opinion, it deserved to do blockbuster business. As it is, most pure comedies have been just withering on the vine in today's marketplace. We need to support movies like this when they come out in theaters. Otherwise, it's just wasted talent. I agree that the studio really failed this movie. I love the movie, and I think it had so much potential to be a summer hit among people my age. But it was never really given the chance to do that with the way the studio marketed it. But to be more literal to the category of wasted talent, I think I would have to pick Billy Lord who plays Gigi. I don't think any talent was really put to waste in this movie because it is so well done, but I just loved every scene featuring Billy Lord and would have really loved seeing more of her. You want? Oh, no, thank you. Not a drug person. Not even pot? I feel like I can help you relax. Nope, it doesn't work for me. Mm. One time I ate a legal pop brownie when Model UN went to Amsterdam. And as soon as I got high, I just cried about the fact that one day my mom will die. So I had the exact same thing. Really? I lost my virginity in what I thought was a park, but it turned out to be a graveyard, and now the ghost spirits live inside my eggs, waiting to be reborn. It's not at all the same. I always felt like we were similar. 
The next category is the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Towards the third act, this movie soars to emotional heights, eventually surpassing Superbad, culminating in a sequence which a lot of cinephile types have just gone bonkers over. And justifiably, in my opinion, I'm of course referring to the now iconic swimming pool sequence, which is not only beautifully shot, but features a sublime performance from Caitlin Deaver at its core. And to watch Amy swim her way through this crowded pool underwater, trying to get to her own crush, skater girl Ryan, and then what she discovers popping up from under the surface on the other side, and then her reaction to it, is just a beautiful way to visualize the emotional high stakes and uncertainty of being a teenager. Though I have a teenager here, she could probably speak to that better than me. Even more so, it leads directly to a blowout scene between Amy and Molly shortly afterwards. Both actresses play this effectively raw, but it never feels overwrought, nor does it derail the light tone of the movie. This was hard for me to choose, especially because I do really enjoy that pool scene, but I ultimately decided upon the scene where Amy and Molly graduate. After Molly has found a way for Amy to be released from jail, they race down to their high school graduation and ultimately drive right through the fence surrounding the graduation ceremony. From there, there are many heartfelt, funny, and inspiring moments that really sum up the entire movie and its message. I was so scared of you. I felt like I had to prove that I was better than you. But really, I don't know any more than you guys. All I know is that we have a lot more to learn. Because this part's over. And that's so sad. It was great, wasn't it? (laughs) Things are never going to be the same, but it was perfect. This moment encapsulates the film in a way no other scene could. And now the final category, which would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. The whole cast clearly came to play. But beyond that, Olivia Wilde, with co-writers Sarah Haskins, Susanna Fogel, Katie Silberman, and Emily Halpern, they've all crafted a tight 100 minutes of comedy with just the right dosage of drama to elicit real feeling towards the end. The way this film is shot, written, and assembled keeps these characters buoyant all the way through the film's conclusion. And you cannot help but feel moved and energized at the end. It's kind of amazing that this was her directorial debut, and this remains one of the strongest mainstream directorial debuts of recent years. For helming an exceptional and genuinely funny movie her first time out of the gate, Olivia Wilde is my MVP. Now you differ, huh? I do agree that Olivia Wilde did a great job on this, and I think it could be argued she's also a wasted talent in the way that this is kind of her first and last really good hit, and especially with all the career <laughs> don't, drama. Don't, don't worry, Darling did make money, believe it or not. I did. But yeah, but I no, liked, no one admits to liking it. I, I kind of dug it. We both liked it, but <laughs> yeah, that's its own thing. <laughs> so my personal MVP has to be Beanie Feldstein. She's one of my favorite actresses. She recently got married and had the cutest wedding. And she is really given the chance to shine in this movie. She brings the whole movie together. And without her amazing performance, I think we could both agree this would not be the amazing film it is. And that's why she is my personal MVP. And I may not have before, but I see you now. And you're all pretty great. Don't let college fuck it up. Congratulations. Okay. We'll agree to semi-disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Both of our ratings for Booksmart would have to be... Five stars out of five. 
Booksmart remains one of the best comedies and coming-of-age stories of recent years. And if you're looking to watch Booksmart, at this time, it is streaming on DirecTV and Peacock. And that ends another Movie Smart review. And thank you to my daughter, Isabel, for joining us. Did you have a good time? It was my pleasure. Anytime I can get people to watch this movie and I can talk about it, I'll do it. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.